As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Before we get started today, listeners, I'm going to take a punt and say that it's likely that some of you are gentlemen of a certain age and you've spent slash wasted several hours of your life playing football manager down the years. But if you wanted to get better at the game, you can join our very own Ian McIntosh, author of the world-famous Football Manager Stole My Life, on Tuesday the 25th of May for the Ultimate Football Manager Masterclass. Sports Interactive's Tom Davidson will deliver a top-level briefing on the secrets of FM21 and then former Rangers Aston Villa and Birmingham manager Alec McLeish will pass on some real-life lessons from his nearly 25 years in real-life management. There are top prizes to be won too, including the opportunity to take on McLeish in a live-streamed winner-takes-all game of FM21. The event is all online and you can get your ticket for only £7 right now over at link.dice.fm masterclass that's really catchy so we'll do it one more time link.dice.fm slash masterclass totally football show today adios or harry verdurci we talk the cane drain as harry spurns spurs we check out the midweek action mid fresh calls to draw the line with VAR and then draw another red one over its armpit. We marvel at the Cavani goal, should it have stood, and Brighton beating the champions. Then it's a big weekend for goodbyes. Waving farewell to Roy at Palace, Big Sam at West Brom, Scott Parker's knitwear collection. All that plus goal-scoring keepers, but at the right end, crucially, and into Totally Action, it's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Welcome, listener. It's the 20th of May. Another season almost done. Well done. Uh, with us here today, we've got, counting down to the final weekend, Duncan Alexander. Hello, Duncan Alexander. Hello, James Richardson. David Priest also with us. Hey, David. Uh, good morning. How are we? Pretty good. And making his pod debut, Adam Crafton. Hello, Adam. Hello. Very happy to be here. Well, that's, that's, that's great. We're delighted to have you on. Could you introduce yourself for anyone who's not been following your stellar career? Uh, yes, a bit daunting. Um, I could say that you're the author of, from Guernica de Guardiola. You're also Young Sports Writer of the Year 2018, although since then, nothing. Since, no then, since, since, since then, it's tailed off quite a bit. Right. Um, there was a runner-up runner in a press award. That was quite nice. Okay. Um, um, but I'm a reporter at The Athletic, um, which is probably all that people need to know. 
um, at, okay. at this point. Excellent. Well, Pavera, fine on-the-money football hot takes. So I'm intrigued what you're going to make of all the major talking points we've got for today's show. I mean, we're going to be talking a little bit about keepers with you, David. No doubt we'll be enjoying the return of fans and that. But there's also the Harry Kane news, of course, potentially the final weekend of Harry Kane for Spurs. Or, or, or given the state of the market, come August, will he be cramering his way back in? Uh, to Tottenham Hotspur. Where is he going to go and what will Spurs do next? My, my instinct is that he's going to stay um, at Tottenham because I don't think Daniel Levy is going to let him leave. Um, and I always tend to think when stories emerge so regularly about a player you know, wanting to leave or that he might have a gentleman's agreement, I tend to think if a deal is nearly done, it doesn't need to be spoken about this much and have this many... Story, uh, sort of leaks perhaps that are coming out um, and stories emanating from his camp uh, in football parlance. Um, so my, my instinct at this stage is it's very much Harry Kane agitating to try and drive that interest and try and pu- push Daniel Levy into a corner. But we, we know from past experience that Daniel Levy is not easily pushed into a corner. And if he's saying that the figure is 140, 150 million, I don't think he's going to reduce that Um so I think it's going to dominate the summer, it will dominate the run-ups to the Euros, um, but my instinct is I don't see a market for Harry Kane. I don't see someone that's ready to pay £140 million for, was he 28, 29? Um, had recurrent ankle injuries. I, I think that would be a huge gamble for even for a Manchester City or Chelsea. Well, he still has three years left on his exactly. first deal, is that right? But then again, uh, Daniel Levy, the the nominatively non-determinism named uh, Daniel Levy and Spurs could decide to use that money and rebuild the team with it, you know, or, or use whatever large sum they could get, much as, say, Juventus did when they sold Zidane and brought in Buffon yeah. and Nedved and Taram and laid the groundwork for a, a championship side, and, and much like Spurs themselves didn't when they sold Elvis mm. and bought the Ruttles in, in that uh, <laughs> uh, infamous uh, splurge post-Gareth uh, Bale. What do you think, Duncan? I mean, yeah, you don't want to waste all that money on Roberto Soldado, I guess. But um, to back up what Adam said, I mean, I think if Kane was two years younger, I think that a lot of more teams would be interested in buying him. But, you know, he's 28 this summer and he only needs 95 goals to to match Alan Shearer's record in the Premier League. He theoretically could do that in three seasons at City if Guardiola stayed. So it's, you know, I think he would be a good signing. But at that price, when Mbappe and... Haaland possibly next year available you you by signing Kane this summer you're essentially ruling yourself out of of that so yeah I mean Chelsea probably are the team that could do it most likely but they're also the team that that Spurs would least like to see Harry Kane running out for next season so yeah I think it, it's going to be one of those quite boring summer long uh you know sagas yeah what does 100 or 140 million buy you these days you know little man city you, you probably buy your three fullbacks for them you know, it's not like it's it's a sum that's going to be a total rebuild. Yeah, of course, they could do with a you know a, a bit of a rebuild themselves in there now, depending on who comes in, and it would be a, a, a bit of a war chest. But like I said, it, it it depends on Harry Kane. Three years left in his contract, is he worth more to them than the money that can bring in for him in the future? So it's a tough one. It is a tough one, but a lot of the links and. As you say, we're probably only at the start of this saga now, but at the moment, a lot of the links seem to be with Manchester City, 
with maybe Man United trying to finesse some kind of uh, a spoiler move. But hey, we'll, we'll come on to that subject. I'm sure we'll have ample opportunity to discuss uh, Kane's future, not just today, but throughout the summer. Spurs, of course, with multiple headaches after getting beaten by Villa uh, midweek and now with the risk of Arsenal potentially overtaking them and pushing them into the Europa Conference League. We'll be discussing all of that, but let's begin with the top four race. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Against Kasper Schmeichel, here comes Jorginho. He's rolled it in like it was the easiest thing he's ever done. And Chelsea have a second goal and they take a giant step toward a massive three points. 90 minutes to play. There is one point between Chelsea, Liverpool and Leicester. With Leicester now outside the top four on goal difference, outside the top four for the first time all season, having lost to 2-1 at Chelsea on Tuesday, while Liverpool Wednesday beat Burnley 3-0. Hmm. The Chelsea-Leicester game, uh, that was much more like it from Tuchel's side compared to Saturday's performance? Yeah, they were far better and it seemed like they were driven on, didn't they, by the... Um by the pain and suffering uh, that, that, that had been inflicted upon them and Daniel Amati's um, now quite infamous uh, dressing room celebration, which has amazed me in terms of how much Chelsea players are reported to have cared about the video um, in the dressing room. For those who didn't see it, I think the two clubs exchanged penance, penance, pedants? Pendants, uh, is it? Pendants, yeah. is it? Um, and Daniel Amati, during the course of Leicester's celebrations, appeared to just basically throw Chelsea's into the bin. Um, and apparently this really wound Chelsea up, um, Chelsea's players, saying they're incredibly disrespected. And then in that big uh, kerfuffle at the end by the touchline, um, a few of them made a beeline for him. And I think he was the only player booked during the course of those, um, during the course of that little threcker. But no, it was a lot better from Chelsea. Um, and they, I would say they look the most secure, don't they, of that clutch of teams trying to get into the top four. And Liverpool, you just feel now are on a bit of a roll. As appealing as the narrative is of Roy Hodgson's final game at Anfield, denying Liverpool qualification into the um, Champions League would be quite, um, probably quite sweet for him. Right. Uh, Chelsea have a game away at Aston Villa, seem to have uh, reawoken since the return of Jack Grealish. And of course that would provide the narrative of John Terry potentially costing his former club <laughs> a Champions League place. But, but David, what do players reveal to us? What do players usually do with the little pennants they get then? the little triangular souvenirs they are handed out? They usually just get picked up by the kit man at the end of the, uh, you know, at the end of the, of the game and, and that's where they normally stay in his room and he just collects them. I was once in the uh, cupboard in the head of the Zambian FA in Lusaka. And Why were you in full. the cupboard? It's a long story. I was, I was buying a shirt and the only place you could buy them was the actual FA and they said they're in that cupboard. And... The cupboard was just full of these things dating back 30, 40 years. So they are part of the fabric, quite literally, of football. But, I mean, as Adam said, I've not seen players get that inspired or enraged by the treatment of one for a, for a long time. So. Right. Well, they were also spurred on, of course, by the 8,000 Chelsea fans at Stamford Bridge uh, who were able finally to see first-hand Timo Werner at work with his extraordinary commitment to his personal brand, scoring collapsing in relief but then seeing the goal disallowed scoring collapsing again in relief but then seeing the goal disallowed I was excited to see that Jorginho is now actually Chelsea's leading scorer in the Premier League this season 
Yeah, I looked up the number of top scorers teams have had whose uh, the player their surname ends in J or their name is J, and it's actually loads more than I thought. So it's actually, I mean, do you want the list? You want no, the list, why, don't you? Can, why? 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 Because I just thought, well, Italian doesn't even have the letter J very much, does it? So is that true? Yeah, he's not that Italian though. No, I know, but it just. These things occurred to me anyway. It's uh, right. it's Janssen, Jarosik, Jelovic, Jerome, Jimenez, Julian Jochim, Johansson, Collins, John, Adam Johnson, a- uh, Andrew Johnson, and uh, Kenwin Jones. So okay. he could join a pretty checkered list there. Hmm. But Chelsea, all in all, not just moving into a much better or a stronger position as per their top four prospects, but also shaking off some of those doubts that there were ahead of. The big season finale against Man City, although worrying to see N'Golo Kante going off injured in this game. Any word on how serious that was, or was it precautionary? I mean, word coming out from Chelsea was just that it was precautionary. That he just felt his hamstring tighten up, and that he was going to, uh, yeah, he thought he pulled himself out before uh, before anything did happen. But it's 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 strange looking at a few of the uh, a few articles the, uh, the past couple of days about how uh, it was certainly one from the from the Daily Mail where. Somebody's talking about them, like Tuchel had been found out. You know, they'd lost two games and his tactics had been found out. And it's just ridiculous the way football is at the minute. And I think the the two games were were fine from Chelsea's point of view. The way they played in the cup final, they could have quite easily have won. But certainly the second game, they, they controlled it. And the way they play, the you know, control games for 60, 70 minutes. And then they'll always leave themselves open to sort of... Um, the type of finish that they did against Leicester, if they don't really dominate it goal-wise, you know, if they don't make that um, that possession count and and turn it into goals, but um, I, I, I still see Chelsea as really strong tactically and a difficult team to beat, regardless of what people have been saying over the past week. So they have the point advantage on Liverpool and Leicester, as you mentioned, they're going to be at Aston Villa this weekend. Liverpool will be hosting Crystal Palace. I mean, the whole thing is a kind of Liverpool manager, former manager, Mexican standoff thing with Roy and Brendan and, of course, uh, Klopp in there. What do you think is going to be the outcome? Adam, you've already said you think that Chelsea are going to be OK. And, and is it Liverpool? Yeah, I think Leicester's goose might be cooked, to be honest. And it's the same story as last season, really, which is a bit of a shame. But they've won the cup. So mm. um, I, I do, you know, I think... I, th- I think it's probably true at the same time that if you're a Leicester fan, you'd rather have the cup. Um, and if you're a Liverpool fan or a Chelsea fan, you'd rather have the Champions League because that's just the way football has gone to a certain extent. Um, Leicester, I-, I think that the-, the impact on them will be who they might lose as a result of not being in the Champions League um, this summer. I'd certainly think uh, Yuri Tielemans, I would worry for them um, in relation to keeping him, possibly Ndidi as well. Um, and also, I think they made losses in excess of 60 million um, on their latest account. So I would think they would have to sell in order to buy, which they, which they always which they always do, and they're always very good at it. Um, but I wouldn't, ex- you know, they're going to have to be really, really smart once again. And I think also, even if you look at uh, Duncan's probably better, far better than me at this. But if you look at Vardy's numbers over the last four or five months or so, they seem to have tailed off. A little bit, so you wonder what they're going to do from a striker point of view as well next season. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. I think it was interesting, actually, the Chelsea game. that Everyone focuses on Timo Werner, and he has got the biggest underperformance this season, but not far behind him is Jamie Vardy. And he, he kind of gets away with it because he's Jamie Vardy, and he's had this you know excellent, long career now in the Premier League. But I, it does, and we have said this before, but it does feel like this could be the, the final you know productive season from Vardy, and next season he might have to be phased out. I think also... Leicester is such a well-run club that they will have two, essentially two transfer lists, probably. They'll have one where, you know, if they get into the Champions League, and I think they'd be in a strong position because you think about all the clubs across Europe this season who, because of COVID, really do need to sell. And Leicester could really, you know, bolster their squad if they get in the Champions League. They'll still do well if they don't, but, you know, they, they will miss out on some pretty big targets, I would imagine. Um, and if you look at the numbers, they've been in the top four for, for over 240 days this season, which is way more than any other team. So to drop out, you know, with one, one game to go really is, you know, heartbreaking, I think. And given all that's happened with the ESL recently, I think seeing Leicester get into the... Champions League and prove that you can do it as a non-giant super club would would have been nice. Right, they're quite a sizable club, of course, uh, these days. But are we so sure that they're not going to make it back in? Liverpool against Palace, most people, I think, would have Liverpool as strong favourites there, given that they beat them 7-0 last time they met. Leicester, meanwhile, are going to be taking on a Spurs side who put in probably their worst performance of the season midweek at home to Aston Villa. And Villa are the team that Chelsea will be travelling to. But, I mean, I could see Chelsea maybe only drawing there and, and being the side that misses out, but then potentially getting into the Champions League anyway through through the Champions League final itself. What, what do you think about that scenario, those three teams? Who do you think is going to win those those three fixtures, rather? Well, you could see Jack Grealish has got essentially a game, well, one more game, to, to prove that he is you know fit and ready for the England squad. You could see him putting on a... You know, with fans at Villa Park putting on a performance against Chelsea. And as you say, we could have Liverpool and Leicester in the top four and, and then Chelsea win the Champions League and they all get in. So why don't they just do that? I'm sure everyone other than Man City would be delighted. All the games on Sunday are going to be at the same time, four o'clock. Which one are you going to be picking? Will it be Leicester against Spurs? I think it'd be, I think, I think it's Villa-Chelsea. Um, Is it? Because I think that's the game with the, as you said, I think that's the game with the most jeopardy. Uh, but if Chelsea go 2 0 up inside the first 15 minutes, then uh, I'm not sure what we're watching. Well, it's also quite a strange concept because, you know, we've had a season where nearly every single Premier League fixture has been played at a staggered time. And, you know, normally we'd, we'd be quite used to sort of having to keep an eye on multiple games going on, but it's actually quite rare now. I mean, I find it really difficult during the Champions League quarterfinals that there were multiple good games on it at the same time. It was, mm. it enraged me. But so. You know, who knows how angry I'll be on Sunday. <laughs> for, for me, it'll be it'll be the uh, Liverpool Crystal Palace game, not okay. just because of the the history of of that fixture, what it meant for Brendan Rodgers before, um, you know, drawn three three at Sellers Park, but also it's it's probably the most on that game really. Liverpool have got the most to lose in in all of this. You know, Chelsea have still got a, a chance to to qualify for next season Champions League in the final. Leicester have obviously, you know, just said that they've been in the position all season, and it'll, it'll be a remarkable story really for for Liverpool to to come from where they've came from and all the injuries they've had and everything they've had endure this season. They just creep in the last game. Right. I must admit, I'm quite tempted by the Leicester Spurs, not least to see, apart from the whole Harry Kane business, how Spurs are going to pick themselves up after that performance. Against Villa, Leicester need to not only match Liverpool's result, but also potentially gain four goals of goal difference on on Klopp's side. Just a quick word on Spurs' defeat at home to Villa. To what extent did you see that coming? To what extent did it, were you taken aback? And can you explain why 
there didn't seem to be any fans in the stadium on most of the kind of camera angles. Uh, yes, I was I was actually out for dinner in Soho last night, so I only saw about the first fifteen minutes of that. So game. it was a Spurs defence. So. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so obviously there were those suggestions online about uh, the the sponsors being made visible to the TV cameras, but Spurs have denied that that was the intention uh, behind it last night. Um, Can you think of any other reason that they might have not put any fans near the pitch but kept them in the top tiers? Because the team's been a bit useless this season. Um, so Eric Dyer can't get to them. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Um, that's the only other thing I, c- I can really imagine. Uh, but yeah, it was all a bit of a damp squib, but that's been their season. It reminded me a lot of the post-Mourinho uh, Solskjaer malaise that set in after that sort of brilliant start that Solskjaer had, where towards the end of that season, United were absolutely dreadful for the final seven or eight games and they finished the season with a home defeat against Cardiff Neil Warnock's Cardiff um, that they lost 2-0 and it sort of ended with like Paul Pogba rowing with fans um, in the the stadium and it it had just looking at some of the highlights it had that sort of feel of just a team that's completely lost every bit of connection that it had with its fan base with its with its self with its sense of self its identity um and there, there is, a, you know, to go back to that original point we were making with regards to Harry Kane, there is that sense of opportunity if Kane was to go, that you have almost this blank canvas for a coach to come in and just start against to a certain extent, which may appeal, um, because whatever they had under Pochettino just really seems to have gone now. Who is the current favourite to be coming in? Is there any consistent lead at the moment? Yeah, it sounds like uh, Eric Ten Hag is still... Um, Still a possibility despite renewing his contract to Ajax. Ralph Rangnick, uh, Roberto Martinez, Brendan Rodgers doesn't uh, seem to want the job. Um, so those are the three names that keep uh, being mentioned. I think Hansi Flick, um, Jack Pitbrook was reporting on The Athletic this morning, had been someone that Spurs had looked at, but he's going to Germany. Um, so yeah, those look like being the candidates. And, and Graham Potter as well, a little bit further down the list. Um but again, you know, if you're one of those coaches, you also want a bit of guarantee about what's happening to Harry Kane. Um, so again, during those discussions, I'm sure that you know that might precipitate Kane's future one way or the one way or another. I, I just think it was a real bad move putting Ryan Mason in charge of the of the side for 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 everyone. And I know that he's he's close friends with Harry Kane, but if if you're in Harry Kane's position. You're wondering what type of club gives so much responsibility to some somebody with so much, or, or with the uh, the inexperience that he has. You know, you look at the coaches they've got in there. I've I've no idea why they didn't put Chris Powell in there as the number one, and Ryan Mason as his number two. It's such a massive leap from what Ryan Mason was doing coaching wise, and, and not only that, from a player's perspective, they'll have much more respect. Uh, for for Chris Powell than they will have for for Ryan Mason and I think this uh, this performance was actually coming because they looked so much like you know they could have worn flip flops and and a, and a shirt like I'm wearing for the whole game and, and they'd have played just exactly the same. Narrator's voice: uh, David is wearing a tropical short sleeve shirt, somewhat perplexingly with a woolly beanie. So that was just the closest one to hand. You don't want to see what's underneath here. All right, then. No. Uh, but, OK, fair enough, fair enough. But, by the way, well done, Villa, because it was uh, a, nice to see them return to form with Jack Grealish back in the side. And they, they should should arguably have been able to win it by a bigger 
margin. Uh, the the lack of an Ollie Watkins penalty after Hugo Lloris clattered him inside the box was one of the many slightly perplexing refereeing decisions. Duncan. Well, we should also pay tribute to uh, Reguilón getting the 1,000th Premier League own goal, which we, we talked about last week, and we were hoping it would be a good one when it came. And this this certainly was a complete slash of the ball with his wrong foot that looped past Lloris. He's come a long way from getting a £500 ham from Jose Mourinho at, at Christmas to scoring the 1,000th uh, Premier League own goal. It's been, a, been an up-and-down campaign. Magnificent. Spurs could end up below Arsenal, who beat Crystal Palace to move within a point of their North London rivals. Arsenal will be hosting Brighton uh, this weekend. It raises all sorts of interesting questions about who's going in the Europa League and who will finish up in the conference. And we'll talk about that and much more next. Uh, Harry, is there any truth in the rumours that you're off to Spain in the summer? Uh, 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 sorry, me, uh, me no hablo inglés. <laughs> what about one of the Manchester clubs? Oh, uh, well, you know, it's... Uh... Well, Harry, what about my source who says you're keen to stay at Spurs? <laughs> uh, can we keep the questions sensible, please? Kane's future at Spurs remains uncertain, but you're guaranteed to get money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold acre lets you down. Paddy Power! Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive exclude shop bets and enhanced match odds. Season C supply 18 plus begumbleaware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Now, elsewhere in the Premier League this midweek, ooh, on Tuesday, Cavani scored a worldie that probably shouldn't have been allowed, but I think we were all quite happy that it was in that 1-1 draw between Man United and Fulham. United's home form continuing to be source of great disappointment for them. Brighton, meantime, whose home form had been similar, won another game at home this time, and against the champions as well, 3-2 against 10-man Man City. Leeds won 2-0 at Saints, and we had that Chelsea win over Leicester Wednesday. Amongst other treats, you had a home win for Everton. Crikey, 1-0 over Wolves. Newcastle beat Sheffield United 1-0. West Ham won 3-1 at West Brom, and have now moved into sixth place, set for Europa League football. And Arsenal rather spoiled Uncle Roy's send-off at Selhurst Park with a couple of goals after the 90 to take a 3-1 victory home. Crikey. Daniel Storey insists that over everyone's last 23 fixtures, that's over 60% of the season, Arsenal are actually second in the Premier League behind Manchester City. Daniel says, this season has broken my brain. Duncan, you're friends with numbers. Can you explain mm. these ones? Yeah, I mean, Arsenal are, as we said before, they are they get a lot of attention when they lose and less so when they win, generally because when they do win, it's a bit like the Palace game this week where they didn't actually play very well. They had basically about the same number of shots as they, they score goals. Um, you know, Arsenal are just a strange team. They've had five different goalkeeper kits this season. That's they, They're more concerned with merchandise than they are with, uh, with tactics in some ways. Have they really? Yeah, Leno's worn five different kits this season, including an, an Arsenal outfield shirt home to Wolves, which um, is strange. So, I mean, I don't know what David's record for kits in a season is, but I don't reckon it's as high as five. Uh, it, it might be something like that, but when I was at Silver Bowl, the goalkeeper always wore 
it was the same strip as the outfield, but just in different colours. Okay. So I think I, I that's pretty black. standard, isn't it? So I think I wore... <laughs> that's no, exactly but ex- 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 exactly the same strip though. Right. It was right, the, okay. the outfield strip, but in a different colour. So uh, yeah, I think I did five: blue, yellow, green, black, white. Okay. What was your favourite? All black or all white? Yeah. Oh, white. Beautiful. That's an interesting one. All white. Yeah. Interesting one. Okay. Uh, well, you mentioned shots to goals ratio for Arsenal. I think it was three shots, three three goals, wasn't it, on target for the Gunners in this victory? And probably worth flagging up the fact that Pepe has now reached 14 goals for the season. So he's actually, a bit like his club, quietly been putting together some good figures. But I think for many people, this was all about Hodgson's goodbye, Roy Hodgson's goodbye, Uncle Roy's goodbye to Selhurst Park. A real outpouring of an affection and thanks after the announcement that he's stepping down as manager. Much of it from Iceland, admittedly. But a 45-year <laughs> career in as, as the gaffer, what was it, 15 clubs, four national sides? What are your favourite bits? Which, which golden bits, can I put it like this, of our football heritage would we not have had if it hadn't been for Roy Hodgson? I mean, as a Manchester United supporter, I can't really look past the Liverpool period um, that, that Roy had. Um, but to, but to, be, to be a little bit more nice to him, um, I thought the, the Fulham story was incredible mm. um, at the time because it was also... He'd almost been forgotten in English football, hadn't he, by between, was it between Blackburn and Fulham over between, what, 1998, 99, and then coming in around 2007. Have I got those dates right, I think? Um, and then they, they had this extraordinary escape, um, and he brought players like Breda Hangeland that became really great for Fulham for a few years, and um, I really liked that Fulham team and that amazing night against you know, admittedly a depleted Juventus, um, an emasculated Juventus at the time, but it was still an incredible night at, at Craven Cottage. And I think that was, you know, what relaunched him. And then yeah, I'm sure West Brom fans probably um, have very nice memories as well of their, their of his time there. I think that one of the sad things is maybe every time he made that real step up, he just mm. couldn't quite cope with it. Um, so... I think, you know, fantastic servant to English football. Um, I don't, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure he's, he's gone for good um, from the way he's no. been talking either. Um, so we might be having this conversation again in three years' time after he's left, I don't know, somewhere in the middle of the Premier League. What he should do is get himself a nice director of football job somewhere mm. upstairs, nice cosy seat, just looking over the stadium, uh, over the, <laughs> the churning pitch from his office. But I think the best thing, that one of the things we wouldn't have had from him would be that... Uh, one of my favourite memes from the uh, Brazil World Cup, where he's so, so optimistic and then crestfallen in a moment. <laughs> Beautiful. I mean, just to back up Adam's point about the consistency, yet that not being quite enough, the, the thing, the stat I like about him was his win percentage at his Premier League clubs. So at Blackburn, it was 35%, not good enough. They were, you know, recent champions. 34% at Fulham, great, done a great job, Europa League final. 35% Liverpool, seriously, Roy, what are you doing? Get out of the club. 36% at West Brom, club legend, you know, really respect him. And 33% at Palace, again, that's fine. So it just shows he's been consistent, but the expectations of him haven't been. And so it's, it's us that's the problem, not Roy. I mean, the thing when he went to Liverpool was they did that, obviously, on the back of him having that amazing season at Fulham. And... You know, every Liverpool manager, we, we've talked about Brendan Rodgers, you know, running through the streets and smelling the mints before and, you know, really getting into the kind of vibe of the club. But Hodgson just refused to do that, which is what mm. what 
turn the fans against him so he quickly. W- more than well, yeah, but he result. was also, I think, in a really, he arrived at a really difficult time when there was this kind of dislocation yeah. between the supporters and the and the ownership. It was Hicks, Hicks and Gillette era, and he was kind of the, the visible face of that. So, I don't know. It, it, Adam, it's interesting you saying that he's been a great service, servant to English, but well, one of the things again, as you reference, is that for so much of his career, he was actually the Englishman who was known for his work abroad, getting Switzerland to their first ever major tournament. They were ranked third in the FIFA rankings for, for a while under him. Uh, his incredible track record in, in Scandinavia as well. David, you'll have no doubt heard people speaking with great awe of, of Uncle Roy or whatever uh, nickname yeah. they have for him there. Yeah, he's, a, he's an absolute legend in Sweden and he really it, it shaped... Swedish football for the past what will be 40 years really since he took over at Halmstad and Erdebru and, and, and Malmo as well in Sweden he, um, his 4-4-2 the way that he plays that was the staple of Swedish football until Graham Potter really changed it uh, before Graham Potter came in it was still 4-4-2 and, um, and so two Englishmen really shaped that country's uh, the, the way they play football as well but there's just a few things from his time at, at, at Vegans, uh, Stavanger, Norway. His character of this being a gentleman, you, you know, he, he, was, he was totally opposite with the players over there. And a lot of it was tongue-in-cheek and he was really popular with the players. But, you know, he, he'd always say after a game that you know, even if they draw a game, he'd come in back in the dressing room and just say, ah, 1-1 one, one today, lads, a point's enough for a cigar and he'd get his cigar out in the dressing room. And when he first went in, in there, of course, Norway is absolutely freezing. Especially Stavanger, wind coming off the North Sea. And um, all the co- coaches used to have the big coats on, hats, big moon boots, everything, while they were tra- uh, coaching the snow. And he'd stride out in just his little jumper shorts, FA socks pulled up to his, uh, up to his knees. And he made all the coaches do that as well. It, it, I think it was about four or five coaches at the club that he, he made uh, just freeze the bollocks off, really. And then... Um, <laughs> And he used to come back in the dressing room after games and there's once I think they, they got beat and he just sat down in the middle of all the players in the dressing room and he just went, what the f*** am I doing here with you lot? At this Mickey Mouse club. He says, I go buy this club. He says, 18 months ago, I'm sat, I'm coaching Ronaldo, Giuseppe Bergami. I should be on the, on the Mediterranean, on the coast of France, south coast of France, cigar me hand on my yacht. And I'm here with you a lot, you know. And he used to say this all the time. And the, the, the training used to be like, 40, you can understand this, 45 minutes of just shape, 4-4-2, getting in positions all the time. The players used to hate it and they wanted to play six sides and small-sided games. And, um, and he wouldn't allow it. So the, the players used to moan that much that they wanted to play a small-sided game. He said, yep, yeah, go on, you do that. And he'd let them have the six small-sided games, five sides, and he'd bring a chair out, put the chair at the side of the pitch, face it the other way and just sit facing away from the uh, <laughs> from the game. And he'd do this all the time with, with the players. And, 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 and he stories like this at all the clubs, all the Scandinavian clubs, but especially at Mal- I know at Malmo and Viking, at the end of every season, players don't get the bonuses at the end of the of the month. The, it's, it's like a points-based thing where they, it's, uh, it's accumulated to the end of the season, they get a big lump sum at the end of the season. And I think at every club he was at, certainly at Malmo and, and Viking, he always divided up any bonuses that he got at the end of the year. He just left them for the uh, for the staff, divide up amongst his staff, and just left them without saying anything to me. They didn't know what was coming. And he just give it uh, handed all out to them. Mm. 
his relationship with fans in Italy is generally good, although at Inter, of course, there is that problematic issue of the Roberto Carlos sale, which happened on his watch, although he denies any involvement in it. Roberto Carlos very much points the finger at, at Roy, but very respected figure, Hogson, as they <laughs> as they call him there. Uh, anyway, all right. Well, it would be lovely to see him turn up. And like you say, David, you wouldn't rule it out. As for the Europa League stroke Europa Conference race, uh, so we've got currently Leicester in fifth, West Ham sixth, and they are three points clear of Spurs, who are in seventh and thus would be heading into the Europa Conference. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. They're level on points with Everton, so crikey. Is it that bad to get into the Europa Conference? Das Autoglass Trophy. Um, you'd <laughs> imagine that... Arsenal and Tottenham would both prefer the other team to get into it, you'd think, because it's just going to be a lot of games for, for not that much kudos, I would imagine. Um, I, I may be doing the, the tournament a massive disservice. It might have an amazing uh, anthem, but we've got to wait and see. I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated to see what the attendances are like if a club like Spurs or Arsenal get into it, and mm. if they don't really sort of drop the ticket prices, well, certainly Spurs on the base of the £60 ones that they did against Aston Villa this week. But um, with, with the Conference League, like, already you see for Europa League group games and even some Champions League group games, which are you know some of the less appealing ones, the attendances can be down. And I do wonder, like, I mean, are you going to go there on your Thursday night against whoever it is that you're playing against? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think for those clubs with... You know, maybe delusions of grandeur at the moment. Um, I'm not sure how appealing it is for that fan base. If a club like West Ham was to get into it, I'm sure it'd be very popular. Mm, okay. Well, West Ham currently was set for the Europa League proper, which would be their first participation in a proper competition uh, since 2006, a European one anyway. Uh, so that's outstanding stuff from David Moyes. West Ham coming off a victory over West Brom and they're at home to Southampton at the weekend. Arsenal in the mix, of course. If they can beat Brighton, which is a neat way of pitching across from the Europa Conference race to Brighton's win over City, which felt significant at the time, but also not because of the fact that, you know, the end of season, etc., etc. A point, though, this weekend for Brighton against Arsenal would make this their best ever Premier League campaign. Nice to see them scoring goals, getting results, etc. now after, after promising so much for so much of the season. Yeah, I mean, it was the... It was the game that put them back, the regression game, I guess. You know, 2-0 down against Man City, albeit City down to, to 10 men, and they actually took some chances. You know, Dan Byrne has now had 15 headed clearances against United in that, you know, 81 crosses game and now scored a winner against uh, Manchester City. That's pretty good in his CV. Um, it was just surprising to see how angry Pep Guardiola got at the mm. final whistle. Um, how bad was Graham Potter's celebration that, that sparked this? Just Athletic did a like theory. generic arm pump. It wasn't very. I mean, he did sort of turn to the city bench, but did he, he just break won the, the touchline code? Well, it is this time of season, isn't it, where Lampard last year reminded us of that very mysterious concept. So yeah, maybe, maybe. Rule two of touchline code: there is no touchline code. <laughs> I actually think it's a nonsense that he even had to apologise for doing it. I don't think it was Pep that was that was um, that was really angered by it. I think it was more Xabi Mancisadon uh, and and Lillo, two of his coaches. But it, it seems ridiculous. It's like mm. Mourinho talking about etiquette and people celebrating after he sort of totally disrespected Alex Ferguson by running down the touchline and jumping on his players. You know, 
Yeah. I also I don't, I don't really understand this thing of managers not being allowed to celebrate. I mean, we never say this to players, do we? And fans. It's just like because this man in a tracksuit or suit has to, for some reason, show greater restraint despite him having the most pressure on him of anybody in the stadium. Um, <laughs> so it makes no sense at all. I think it's just a case of that uh, Pep's praised Graham Potter to the hilt and he maybe right. thought he owed him a little bit more respect for that. This game does throw up a good option for that question. Arsenal Brighton? No, no, the, um, Brighton City. Okay. Does throw up it, uh, the age old question what's your favourite pointless goal? You know, goal scored by a team that lost. The Phil Foden goal is. Okay. Uh, is a good entrance to that running. Well, the, well the... one of one of my favourite Manchester United goals was Darren Fletcher's goal in the six-one defeat by Manchester City, um, which nobody remembers for obvious reasons. But it was a gorgeous sort of thirty-yard curling strike that deluded United that they could get back into the game with ten men, and then they went for it and lost three more goals in the last five minutes. Um, hmm. But it was a but it was a very very nice pointless goal. As a United fan, how did you feel then about Cavani's? Uh, exceptional goal against uh, Fulham uh, this midweek, which ultimately only helped them to a point uh, to the already relegated Cottagers. Flicked on there by Fernandez. He's through Cavani. What an attempt! What a goal! That is why he's a crowd pleaser. It was an amazing goal. I mean, I've just been totally wrong about him. Um, you know, when the signing happened, I was just like, that's another Falcao. Um, and, and I mean, Falcao in the Manchester United Chelsea sense rather than every other part of his career sense um, which has been fantastic um, but Cavani you know he hadn't played he barely played since April um, even the first few months at United when he played he was good but he was having a lot of weeks off um, in terms of games off he wasn't playing very consistently but the last two months or so he's been absolutely fantastic he works he seems to work harder than any other of their forwards um, as well even at is he 34 now um, and the goal, you know, in front of fans just sort of capped it off. It mm. is a shame that, you know, I don't think it can be goal of the season, um, probably because it's not the goal of the season anyway, but also because it was offside. Right. Um, I am a little bit uncomfortable with the idea that a goal that maybe shouldn't have stood should be goal of the season. It's a bit like the, um, I think it was the Mkhitaryan Scorpion kick a few years ago mm. was also offside. Um, and I had the same uh, sort of petty reservations at that time. Well, let's not forget that was one of the goals that led everyone to go, we need VAR because we can't allow this <laughs> thing to happen. And, uh, now we have VAR and they still kind of say, yeah, I'm not sure if Bruno touched it. When What's your position on VAR, Duncan? Because I see you sniping a lot at people who question what? the efficacy of... No, I don't, I don't particularly believe that VAR is very functional in its current form, but I also right. get slightly frustrated at the same people who were like, we, you know... Refereeing mistakes were intolerable. Now having the same argument about VAR, I mean, it only came in because people relentlessly complained. Well, yeah, I would, but... I would ban discussions of, of such incidents at half time and games. That wouldn't be a good idea. Do you know? I think the thing is that it was brought in because people couldn't tolerate refereeing mistakes, but now they just get two sets of refereeing mistakes. So, mm. uh, you know, whether that's something to do with the process or the whole concept of humans and machines. It's also you know, um, VAR discourse. It's probably just the only thing worse than VAR. Um, I hear you, I Adam. That, I'll move that's on. What, no, I think that's what Duncan is railing against. Whichever angle that discussion is going, maybe. He's on the side of the machines, Adam. Don't, don't apologize. <laughs> yeah. Also this midweek, uh, there were lots of other games that took place. Uh, Leeds beating Southampton 2-0. Everton with that 1-0 win over Wolves. West Ham 3-1 at West Brom. And Big Sam announcing that 
I must be traveling on. There's too many places I got to see. Free bird, all that kind of vibe. Uh, he won't be with them uh, for their journey into the championship. And, of course, Newcastle with a 1-0 win over Sheffield United as Joe Willock continued his extraordinary run six games in a row now and the youngest player in Premier League history to achieve that. Sunday, Newcastle are at Fulham. If he's fit, because I think there was some injury question over him, do you see him making it seven in a row and anything you would like to pick out from those midweek games? Well, if he does do it, he'll be the only other person other than Alan Shearer to have scored in seven Premier League games in a row for Newcastle, which for a lone youngster is, is really impressive. And if you mentioned he was the youngest to do six in a row, the, the players above him in the list are Lukaku, Henri, Ronaldo, Owen and Shearer. So it's wow. pretty good company to be in. And it does make you wonder, like, surely he has a decent or a reasonable shout for, for making the England squad because he's, he's in really good form. Um, you know, is Adam, he in better Adam's form? Adam's eyebrows just... Mm. Shot for, for Ancelotti. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, where, where would he play for England? I still don't really know what his best position is. Well, yeah, I don't think he would play, but I think as a squad player to come off the mm. bench, if you're in that good... You know, Jesse Lingard can, can get in the squad for being reasonably good at goal scoring, then why can't Joe Willock? So. I, I've, I've, lowered, I've, I've, I've lowered my eyebrows now. Okay. <laughs> At the weekend, anyway, as I mentioned, Newcastle will be at Fulham. And remember when we thought that was going to be the big relegation decider? <laughs> Funny how things turn out. Elsewhere, you've got West Ham taking on Saints. Man City will be up against Everton. Wolves host Man United. Leeds host West Brom. And that'll be the first chance for Leeds fans to see a Premier League game at Ellen Road in 17 years. So that should have quite an atmosphere. At Sheffield United, meantime... We'll say goodbye to the Premier League at home to Burnley. They could set a new record, Duncan, in that game. Mm. Yeah, they'll be the first top-flight team to score fewer than 20 goals in a full season if they if they don't score. And that's not just Premier League era, that's ever. So, I mean, that does show how bad they've been, basically. Also, they could set a new record for Premier League defeats. Most defeats in a season. 30, the magic mm. 30 point. I mean, you know... Like this time last yeah. year, we were praising them, and now we're not. That's that's all you need to know, really. A year is a long time in football. I was just going to mention what you said about Leeds and their fans, and mm. just to go back to that battle for for Europe. I just feel like if the season was two games longer, they'd probably end up well sixth, but without a doubt. I mean, the, their form over the last ten games has been remarkable, particularly given they have been on that stage of the season where we are always told they should be on the beach, given that they are safe, um, nothing really to play for. But or completely just... burnt out by Bielsa's tactics. Yes. I mean, yeah. you make the point that, that Bielsa, you, you reckon, is, is manager of the, of the season yeah. because of the way that the team has adjusted to to the top flight. Yeah, I was looking the other night and I think the first eight games of the season they conceded 17 goals. Um, and we, I think there was this sense of people who were new to Bielsa's leads thought this is how they wanted to play, winning 3-2, 4-3, 5-4, whatever it would be. And then the last 10 games, I think they've let in seven goals. Um, and a lot of that's because they've had Llorente fit in defence and Robin Cox come back as well. But I think also, like if you actually look at Leeds when they were doing well in the Championship, they won a lot of games 1-0, 2-0. He wants control um, over games. He doesn't want, I don't think he wants it to be what was at times quite kamikaze football. But even if you just compare their results against the top, you know, the top six teams, uh, traditional top six teams... First half of the season, second half of the season, just a completely different approach, I think, 
in terms of a lot more measured, a lot more control in the performances and, be- and better results. You know, they beat City, clean sheet against United, Chelsea beat Spurs having lost, I think, was it 3-0 before half-time in the reverse fixture. The, the team seemed to have learned a lot and evolved a lot um, over that time. I think the job he's done has been incredible this season. They've had injuries as well for quite a bit of it. Indeed, Adam. Well, it is the final weekend. We'll see if Wolves can finish off in style. We'll see if Man United as well can acquire a little bit more momentum after that disappointment at home to Fulham. With the Europa League final on the way, Man United, as mentioned, will be at Molyneux. Yeah, and if they don't lose, which they may do because, as you say, they might rest players ahead of the Europa League final, but if they don't lose, they'll only be the fourth team in top-flight history to go unbeaten away from home in an entire campaign, which Preston and Arsenal did it in their invincible seasons, and then Arsenal did it in 0-1-0-2. But that's kind of gone under the radar a little bit. It's a, it would be an incredible achievement and only goes to show how if they'd have been a little bit more consistent at home and not mm. lost to Sheffield United and dropped points to Fulham, etc., they probably could and maybe even should have won the league this season. So It's it's funny that home form, people always mention the presence of, of fans because they did have one or two unscheduled appearances by fans inside Old Trafford <laughs> prior to mm-hmm. this midweek, but it didn't seem to do them much good against Fulham. No, it didn't. And, and I think one of the really interesting things for next season is working out whether Manchester United's home form is... Is it because there's not been fans in the stadium in the same way we've seen with Liverpool, for example, or Everton... Or is it a more significant stylistic issue about what, how the, this team can cope when a team sits in against them? Um, right. And I think that, you know, that's probably the major challenge. It was the major challenge, really, for Solskjaer, even before Bruno Fernandes came. It looked like they'd unlocked that to a certain extent back end of last season. Now it's sort of starting to rear its head again. Um, so I think that will, be, that will tell us whether this team's capable of, you know, going from challenging a little bit to challenging far more significantly. All right. Well, they have a huge game coming up to complete this season. Beyond Wolves, they'll be in the Europa League final next Wednesday against Villarreal. Uh, We'll be previewing that in next Monday's uh, Totally Football show. Still to come on this edition, as we head towards the Premier League conclusion, we'll be hearing from David on why goal-scoring keepers are the new frontier of football innovation. Get a quick check on what's coming up in the final weekend in Europe, titles to be decided and that kind of thing, and also get the latest drama from the Intertotally Cup. Keep listening for Julien Laurent versus Sasha Gorianov in the Intertotally Cup, sponsored by Paddy Power. And it's live-ish. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Remarkable news from France, where it seems Karim Benzema will be recalled by Didier Deschamps for Les Bleus. He hasn't played for them, Benzema, since 2016 and is shortly due to stand trial in France for his part in the blackmail of his former France teammate Mathieu Valbuena and could face five years in jail if found guilty. Extraordinary story. On the plus side, though, he has scored 22 goals in La Liga this season. It's uh, it's quite a surprise we're getting Jules's reaction to Deschamps' decision in next Tuesday's Euro edition, which we'll also review this week's cup wins for Juve and PSG and that remarkable final weekend on on the continent with so much still to play for. The Spanish title is up for grabs. You've got two points between Atletico and Real Madrid. Atletico are at Valladolid. Real will be hosting Man United's Europa League opponents, Villarreal. In France, only one point between Lille and PSG. Lille are at Angers, while PSG are at Brest. In Italy, you've got a three-way battle between Milan, Napoli and Juve for the last two Champions League places. And in Germany, two big questions. Will Werder Bremen go down after 40 years? And will Robert Lewandowski break Gerd Müller's often thought unbeatable 49-year-old record for the most goals in a single season? Lewandowski is currently tied on 40 with the great Gerd Müller. A game against Augsburg will decide if he can smash that. There you go. Closer to home, there's also all the playoffs, which you can hear about in the Totally Football League show. David, I noticed that two of your former sides uh, have been going at it in League One. Was that exciting for you? It was, actually, yeah. I, I sat and watched it yesterday with the uh, Sunderland assistant manager, Jim McAllister. Right. Due to him being uh, banned from stadiums for six, for the next six games. Oh. With it, after an altercation with um, with Oxford manager Carl Robinson a few weeks right. back, so uh, we had a nice time sitting watching the game. Well, we didn't have a nice time sat and watched uh, Lincoln beat them two nil. Mm. Poor performance by Sunderland, and uh, I don't know if you've seen any of the goals, but the, the second goal was a real bad one. Back pass to Lee Berger keeper, and he hit it off um, Tom Hopper, and it went into the goal. So it wasn't a great result for them. Right. Gives them a bit of an uphill uh, uphill task at uh, Stadium Light on Saturday. Well. 2-0 win for Lincoln, who are chasing their third promotion in five years against Sunderland. Blackpool won their first leg 3-0, meantime, at Oxford. As I say, Totally Football League show's got all about that. League Two, loads of other stuff. Good. Oh, last Sunday, David, since you're on, you'll have spotted that we had one of this season's standout moments with Allison's uh, last gasp heading masterclass, which put Liverpool into the top four. You've been writing about how goalkeepers are actually far from a flight of last-minute fancy, an underutilised marginal gain. Clubs should be using them more. The, the smallest of all gains, I think. But it, oh. if you're going to send a goalkeeper up, yeah. then one is to cause chaos. So you, you leave a lot of luck to that. But also, if you if you put it in the mix, that's usually goalkeepers aren't picked up. Um, and usually they do cause chaos. And because their physical attributes, you know, being used to attacking high balls and um, usually in the Premier League, average goalkeeper six foot three, mm. a good spring. It, it, it makes sense to me that to, if you're going to send a goalkeeper up, have a plan for it. Okay. It's, uh, so actually work on it in training. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be a, you know a lot of work in that you just do one that's you know that you can come up with and, and practice it a few times to, 
during the season for when you might need it. Right. And also for what to do if the other team get hold of it and boot, boot it down downfield to avoid mm-hmm. the hands boot scenario that yeah but, i mean that, that's the that, that's the risk reward isn't it right okay did you ever were you ever sent up in the last in the dying seconds of a crucial game david i, I went up twice once when i was at darlington uh against scunthorpe i think it was last game of the season and then i thought uh just threw caution at the wind and we won nil down and i actually i got sort of like halfway into the other uh the opposition's half when the corner was taken and they and there was a mad scramble back to my own goal and they just missed uh, missed a real easy opportunity he should have scored. So that put me off it a bit. Did your team not actually wait for you to get up there before? No, that was it, step? yeah. <laughs> were they aware that you were coming? How long were you taking it? <laughs> no, well, that was it. Maybe that's, that's a sign that I shouldn't go up there, but I got halfway up to the, uh, into their half and then, right. then Glenn Naylor, who's taken the took it. So I had to chase back and mad scramble back into my goal. But I did actually get a, an assist once. Oh yeah. Went up for a head of Silkeborg. I think I've mentioned this before. Went up for a, a corner with one 0 down against Viola, relegation battle. And um I went up for a header and it just sort of hit me on the side of the head, bounced the edge of the box and somebody half volleyed it in. Brilliant. Mm. Mm. David, why do you think it was quite interesting West Brom didn't seem to pick him up at all. Um are teams defensively set piece overcoached in a way that this this foreign body comes into their box and they just don't respond. They just didn't respond to it. It was, the most, it was utterly bizarre. Does that happen a lot when goal, not that goalkeepers come up a lot, but when they do, why, why aren't they just picked up? Well, 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 that's the main purpose, you know, because things are so structured now and, and, and especially both defensively and, 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 and offensively, but defensively, there's so much structure goes into it and discipline needed that this sort of, like you said, this foreign body, this sort of causing chaos, that's what you want. That's what they're sent up for. But also, you find that a lot of defensive setups are hybrid now. So you don't have the, those extra bodies to pick up the, the goalkeeper. You know, a lot of sides now use four zonal in the edge of the six-yard box. Um, maybe it's four picking up or blocking and two for around the box or to go out short. So when you haven't got those bodies to pick people up, it's just it's almost impossible. And then it's just a, a priority. Who do you pick up? If you t- if you're prioritising people, do you pick up the centre half who's used to heading the ball? Or do you pick up the goalkeeper? Mm. Yeah, I mean the extra. Ma- Once again, ice hockey leads the way. The offside rule is is just waiting for its introduction. The, the ice hockey version of the offside rule waiting for its introduction into football. But equally, you'll often see in ice hockey teams pulling the goalkeeper, which sounds fun, uh, but you know, at crucial moments just to get the extra man. And it it often, I mean, the percentage of success is. It's pretty high. I'd say maybe, well, one in ten or so. But it's still good. It's still worth doing. Just getting that extra body up there, as you say. So hang on. What's I don't know that rule. What's the rule? Power yeah, play. In, no, no. That in 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 hockey you are unlimited substitutions because players are basically rolling on and off the pitch the mm. whole time, uh, often literally. But when a, if a team is say two goals down or something like that, and you're into the last two three minutes of the game, once they win control of the puck, the goalkeeper will dash as much as will waddle at, at pace in all his gear across to the bench and will be replaced as soon as he gets there by another attacking player so you you know essentially you have five outfield players in in, in hockey and, and and the the team that's pulled its keeper will will then have a sixth so what's that 20 percent more players mm. on the ice now the danger of this is that you've got a completely open goal down the other end of of the ice and what happens more often than not is that the team that is defending the lead will get hold of the puck and just fire it down the ice and 
and, and put it beyond question. But it's tremendously exciting. Mm. Anyway, that's hockey. I noticed that midweek in the Copa Libertadores, River Plate faced uh, Independiente Santa Fe with that outfield player as their goalkeeper. Basically, they'd had an outbreak of uh, COVID. They didn't have any substitutes at all. So Enzo Perez uh, put on the gloves. He's a midfielder. And he was apparently man of the match. Duncan, did you do you see this? Because King Sub wrote in. Thank you, King Sub. He says, Duncan, can you give us a history of outfield players starting in goal, like Enzo Perez for River Plate? That's quite a big question. Also, can David give us a review of the man of the match performance from Enzo Perez? Did you see this, David? I, did, I watched the highlights anyway. Okay. Uh, I, I'm not sure about man of the match performance. Right. He was flappy, think, wasn't he? Very flappy. I, I think. Did you feel did threatened like... by it? You know, outfield <laughs> players coming in. No, not at all. Not, not, not by Enzo on his performance. I mean, he did make a good save in the first half, albeit that the ball was going three yards wide anyway. Right. And he sort of flapped yeah. it out. I did quite like in the, his first touch of the ball, which must have been in the, the opening five minutes, when he just got, got a ball into his hands and then collapsed on the floor as right. if it was in the final <laughs> moments, just trying to... I quite, I quite like that he got into the role that way. But also, I quite like the fact that... he. At times, he did look like a goalkeeper when he's holding the ball. He looked confident in what he was right. doing. Where normally you get an, uh, an outfield player going goal, they hold the ball like it's a bomb that's about to go off. Not Carl Walker. Um, he still I mean, looked, he didn't look right. Did he Carl not? Okay. No. Or when they put goalkeeper's gloves on, they walk around the pitch as if they're wearing welder's gloves. Yeah, like, yeah, that's All it. those that big is, jazz yeah, hand things, you know, the foam yeah, ones you yeah. get in American stadium. But just on the history of it, I mean, it's obviously incredibly rare for an outfield player to start in goal. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure David will agree. Most clubs will have a little hierarchy of the best goalkeepers amongst the outfield players. And I mean, I remember Wickham back when you could have two substitutes and a third spot for a goalkeeper. Um, Laurie Sanchez at Wickham would often just choose a third outfield player, and we had Steve Brown, who was um, a reasonably decent keeper for an outfield player. But I think twice in one season, he ended up having to go in goal during games because mm. the goalkeeper had been sent off and we didn't actually have another goalkeeper. So It's quite strange that this came up as well because we were talking about the, the Lincoln-Sullen game the other day and, and um, Alex Palmer, who was the Lincoln goalkeeper, he was, he was concussed in training on Monday and they were allowed to bring in, given special dispensation to bring Joseph Bursick in from, from Stoke City. Who'd already he'd already played for Doncaster, Peterborough, and Stoke in the, this season, and I think it was just because it was concussion that it was a they were given the they were allowed to bring him in. Seems like it's on some sort of tour of uh, fallen Labour seats um, over the last few years. <laughs> <laughs> but but also when I was at when I was at Lincoln coaching two thousand fifteen, we played Alfreton in the FA Cup. I think it was the last qualifying round of the FA Cup, and um, and they had injuries. To both the goalkeepers, one was a lone goalkeeper, the other one was, um, I think, he, yeah, the, the other goalkeeper in Alfred. Mm. And, um, and because the rules state that, I think it was a replay, I think that was it. And the, the rules state that if you weren't registered, registered at the first uh, game, right. they weren't allowed to bring anybody to the second game. And they played uh, Anthony Howells in goal, centre midfielder. Mm. Um, and they had to start him in the game. Not very well, we won 5 right. 1. Ah, well, I should point out that. River Plate with Enzo Perez between the posts managed a 2-1 victory. So remarkable, remarkable D- stuff. D- David, who was the best player that you trained with outfield that that uh, trained in goal and you thought actually he might have, he might be quite good? Um, uh, 
off the top of my head, I can't really think of anybody apart from Niall Quinn. Okay. I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, the Irish lads, a lot of them play Gaelic football when they're younger mm. as well. And, I mean, helps being six foot five as well. And, mm. and he's got form as well. Didn't he save a penalty for Manchester City? Yeah, that's he right. He did. It might have even right. been in the derby. Yeah, I think that rings a bell, actually. Maybe a cup game or something, yeah. Yeah, he, def- um, he definitely saved the penalty. Yeah. If you want to see the worst outfield player I've seen in goal, not in terms of <laughs> goalkeeping, but in terms of just like his kicking and was just weird, was um, Vinnie Jones went in goal for Wimbledon away. At, I think that was away at Man City. And he, he, he seemed to sort of use the position of goalkeeper as a way to get close to players and sort of ac- accidentally, in inverted commas, kick them as he was taking goal, <laughs> you know, drop kicks. It was, uh, it was like a sort of early Guy Ritchie script more than a football match. <laughs> Oh, uh, producer Charlie just saying that that Niall Quinn performance was actually against Derby and he scored a goal in the same game, did he, Charlie? Yeah, that's so he saved a penalty as a keeper but also scored a goal as an out, outfield player. That's got to be a unique accomplishment. So this to give Derby what they so desperately need, an equaliser from the penalty spot. Saunders takes it and Quinn has saved it! There should be a name for that. If we can have an Olympic corner or a perfect hat-trick, if you score a goal and save a penalty as a goalkeeper in the same game. Well, uh, thanks for that. That was a fascinating discussion of, uh, you know, goalkeepers playing as outfield weapons and, uh, you know, and the reverse. So uh, let's now get to the real reason that we're all still talking here, which is the penultimate edition of this season's Intertotally Cup. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Inter-Totally Cup, sponsored by Paddy Power. Stadiums might not yet be full, but Paddy's offers are at full capacity. Get a free bet if one leg of your 4-plus fold acca lets you down on all football matches and markets. T's and C's apply. 18-plus, Well, third-fourth playoff, always the highlight, I think, for me of any tournament. Uh, and that's what we've reached now in the Inter-Totally Cup. The questions have been set. Little bowls of hand talk have been placed. The fluffers have been into the dressing rooms as well and we're ready to meet our two semi-final disappointments who are going to battle for a, a lower place on this year's podium. Let's meet them. Up first. Forget murder on the dance floor, his semi was mailed all round. Will he party like it's Mexico 86 and make it a third place finish for Le Bleu? He is Julien Laurent. I listen. Uh, Yeah, it is true. We did bring a third, fourth playoff in exclusively so we could play that track again. Jules, lovely to have you back with us. I think I can speak for everyone when I say what happened in your semi-final so thank you for having me again James and back I have to say I, I feel I really feel like I got stitched up 
Because uh-huh. Ben's question, and I know he's just got a baby and I've got three and he deserves, I guess, a bit of help. Right. Because he can't, he clearly he's not sleeping right now. Right. But my, I mean, my question was so hard compared to his. Yeah. And I'm disappointed that Cass didn't rule in my favor. And I think that semifinal should have been replayed easily. But hey, right. Is this I move on. I move longer, on. Or, or we... I move on. I move on. Oh, okay. I good. can go for longer Excellent. if you want. I can go for longer. <laughs> uh, magnificent. Well, I think it's, you know, everyone has an, an off day. Uh, Jules, yeah. and it's lovely to give you another chance to put the record straight. Could you just remind us of the charity you'll be supporting with this and also what wager you'll be supplying? Yes, yeah, so my charity is uh, Dementia UK, who, Excellent. as you know, um, is very close to my heart. And my bet this week or this time is both Manchester United and Villarreal to score and Man United to win with Edinson Cavani to score. Oh, voila. All right. Yeah. After his belter midweek. Fantastic. Okay, well, let's see what score you come up with very shortly. But first, let's meet the man you're up against. And his opponent, unlike his beloved Liverpool, he's looking to finish better than fourth in this inter totally. He is Russia's greatest quiz machine, Sasha Gorionov. Sasha, just when you thought you were out, we drag you back in for one more game. Hi, James. Yeah, I, uh, it took me a while to process my defeat uh, against Michael. Um, well, yeah. I mean, you, you could have been in the final if it weren't for that pesky tiebreaker. It wasn't the tiebreaker. I thought I actually rushed the uh, Beckham question uh, because uh, I think I got a little bit too excited in front of open goal, if you like, and he just yeah. blazed it wide. But yeah, so I got over that and uh, I composed myself and I went on holiday, I was on the beach, I was just uh, switched off. And then here I am, a bit like Denmark 92, but not quite. Right, so let's see what I can do. Final. With... That would be one big difference. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. So that wouldn't be quite that, but I'll, you know, I'll try to do my best homage. Excellent, excellent. All right, your charity and wager, please. Uh, it's Battersea Dogs and Cats, and I will stick to my wager from the semi final, which is for Brentford to go up. All right, another tenor on that. Brilliant. Excellent. Okay, let's get asking some quiz questions. Julian, you're up first, looking to beat a score of naught out of six. And question one, who did Harry Kane score a hat-trick against at the 2018 World Cup? Um, Harry Kane, hat-trick. Tunisia. It was Panama. Panama. That's okay, it's just question one. Question two. Who is the missing name from this list of Tottenham's last five permanent managers? Harry Redknapp, Andre Villas-Boas, Mauricio Pochettino, Jose Mourinho. Who's the missing name from that list of the last five Spurs permanent managers? Juan de Ramos? I'm afraid not, Jules. It was Tactics Tim and his gile, Tim Sherwood. Was he really permanent manager? I'm afraid he was. was that wasn't him. a fever dream. Incredible to it believe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was so bad that I thought he was still into him. All right, then. That's his fault, not yours. So we'll move on to question three. Three Premier League winning managers have managed Juventus. Carlo Ancelotti and Antonio Conte are two. Who is the other manager to have managed Juventus and also have won the Premier League as a manager? Claudio Ranieri? It is Claudio Ranieri. All right, then. Question That's four. That's a Sherwood question. I thought it could not have been him, man. It was too easy. 
Right. Uh, question four. Who is the only Englishman to win the Ballon d'Or twice? Kevin Keegan? Is correct. On a roll now. It was question five at the 2010 World Cup. Which team went out in the first round despite not losing any of their three group games? Morocco. It's New Zealand. New Zealand was the answer. Question six. Who is the only Greek team to reach a European Cup final? Panathinaikos. Is correct. So a score of three out of six there, Jules. How do you feel? Nah, let my chance go. This was a six out of six. And New Zealand, I would not have found New Zealand. That was five out of six. Panama should have got it. Should have got it. Tim Sherwood, I I thought too hard and went for Ramos because I I thought Sherwood was never... uh, If anything, you thought too well. Yeah. So, that, it should have been five out of six. And now that could cost me because against the, the Kasparov of quizzes, you know, if, yeah. you, if you miss a chance like this, you end up losing. So. Well, let's see, because uh, he's, he's on the beach. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Sasha, question one for you. Harry Kane has played for four clubs so far, other than Tottenham. Late Orient, Millwall and Norwich were three. Who was the other one? Brighton? No, it was Leicester City. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Question two. Who is missing from this list of Newcastle's last five permanent managers? Chris Hewton, Alan Pardew, Rafa Benitez, Steve Bruce. Which name is missing from that list of the last five? Hewton, Pardew, Benitez and Bruce. Hewton, Pardew, Benitez and Bruce. So, Benitez was straight before Bruce. Parts lost his stuff before then. Hewton. What was the name of that guy? Uh, mm. Who... Uh, is this his only job? I can't remember. It was a guy called Steve McLaren. I wasn't even thinking McLaren. Um, yeah. Were you thinking of John Carver? I was thinking Carver, yeah. Yeah, he was caretaker. He was never a permanent oh, manager. He was never permanent, okay. Jules would have... Um, Rightly yeah. questioned that. That would have gone to <laughs> Jules AR. Anyway, uh, question three. From 1974 to the present day, only one non-Italian has managed Juventus. Who? Oh, uh, no. It's only the third, fourth playoff, Sasha. Is there some sort of time at some point or do we have the whole day? (laughs) I think we have to hurry you for an answer, Sasha. No, I don't actually know. Okay, do you want to tell him, Jules? Didier Deschamps. Didier Deschamps. Oh, of course. The manager who came just before that run was uh, Chesmovic Palik, who was was then Zeman's uncle, and that's why Mm. Zeman came to Italy and... Extraordinary. Anyway, mm, not out of three. Not mm. out of three. And you need all three of these next three questions to tie Jules and go to our exciting new penalty shootout. Here's hoping. Question four. Two players have won the Ballon d'Or three times in consecutive years. Or for three years in a row, you might prefer. Leo Messi is one. Who's the other? Who's the only other player to win the Ballon d'Or for three years in a row? Platini. It is Platini. Question five. At the 2010 World Cup, which team did Portugal beat 7-0? 
North Korea. Is correct. And this to force a penalty shootout. Question six. Who is the only Swedish team to reach a European Cup final? Uh, Malmö. In the news at the moment, of course. Mm-hmm. That is correct. And of course, that means, Sasha, you have tied Jules's score. Oh, dear. We're going to a penalty shootout. <laughs> Again. <laughs> now, the penalty shootout is different to the tiebreaker that we had before. Take it in turns to provide answers within 10 seconds as I ask you to name Premier League Golden Boot winners. Jules, you're first. Are we allowed to write? Because I see Sasha writing. Are we allowed to write? I'm making a note. I'm asking you for your answer. Harry Kane. Is correct. Mo Salah. Is correct. Obama Young. Is correct, yep. Uh, Alan Shearer. Is correct, Jules. Thierry Henry. Yep. Kevin Phillips. Yes. Jimmy Vardy. Is correct. Andy Cole. Is correct. Sadio Mane. Is correct. Joint, wasn't he? Is that count? He that won a golden boot. Uh, joint, joint counts. Um, uh, so we have Cole. Getting close for... Ian Wright. Is correct. Oh, no, it's not. No. Ian Wright never won the golden boot in the Premier League. Are you sure? Charlie, oh, well. the producer, has yeah. said that's the case, and that's enough for me. In that case, me. I lose. Well, the shootout. Yeah, that was the shootout. Crikey, Sasha, that happened so fast. Ian Wright won the Golden Boot the last season before the Premier League began. Yeah. The other answers you could have given, had you been clever enough, were Teddy Sheringham, Chris Sutton, Dion Dublin, Michael Owen, Jimmy Floyd Hasselblank, Dwight York, Ruud van Nisseroy, Didier Drogba, Cristiano Ronaldo, Nicholas Anelka, Carlos Tevez, Dimitar Berbatov, Robin van Persie, Luis Suarez and Sergio Aguero. I had a few of those ready, Sasha. I'm surprised. I was, I was trying to be a little bit clever because I was saving up Owen and Suarez for later uh, in case I got really stuck. So I thought, yeah, All I'll right. just throw right out there. Oh, well. What a turnaround, Jules. From, I think, nine Incredible. consecutive wrong answers, you have powered through. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. Always to nice win, of you. To win a shootout <laughs> and officially take bronze. You're, you've podiumed. <laughs> I podium, and I'm very happy with because I do think that we've got two worthy finalists in Michael and, and Ben, and me and Sasha fought hard for this third and fourth yeah, place. Yeah, you did. So. All right. Very Brilliant. Happy. Well, listen, congratulations to you, Sasha. Any final Thank thoughts? You. I mean, uh, well, no, I'm just going to go back to the beach, be Nicolagas, okay. uh, my feet up. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful life. It is indeed. Congratulations, Jules. <laughs> Thank you, my man. Thank you. Vive la France, Monsieur Laurent! You've won the dubious honour of finishing third in the 2021 Intertotally Cup. And if you also want in on Jules's bet that Man United will beat Villarreal in the Europa League final and with both teams scoring, it's at 16-5 over at paddypower.com or on the Paddy Power app. Odds are accurate at the time of recording, it's over 18s only. And please, 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 gamble very responsibly. Wow, well that was dramatic. Julien Laurent's redemption uh, as he takes bronze... Uh, now, 
next Thursday. It'll be the final of the Intertotally Cup as Michael Cox takes on Benji Lanyardo. So you won't, I hope, want to miss that. Before that, we'll have shows on Monday and Tuesday with a final word on the Premier League and beyond. For now, it's many, many thanks to producer Charlie, to Duncan Alexander, Adam Crafton and David Priest. Cheers, everyone. Cheers to you, listener. Have a great weekend and we'll catch up with you Monday for now, though, from all of us here. It's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.